0: Good evening, my saints and wonderful friends. God bless you. Welcome to Bible study live. We are live on location at Deliverance Temple, the purple church with the blue roof where God resides and the love of God is felt. So we are so grateful for those who are with us in the building as well as those who are on line. Let us bow our heads and let us pray. Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, God, we praise you, we love you, we honor you, and we thank you. Thank you for all that you are and all that you mean. You're the great, wonderful, kind, awesome God. And for that, we appreciate you, and we lift you up and magnify your name. Nobody is like you, nobody compares to you, and we appreciate you. God, we ask that you would bless us in the study, encourage us, encourage our minds, encourage our hearts, strengthen us. God, we repent of anything that is blocking your uh, grace and anointing from falling on our lives. And God, we receive you with open arms. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. So on this uh, day, we're going to cover Sunday's sermon. And Sunday's sermon was simply this, the word better. That was the title. The title was better. And so, uh, since we're in the new year, we were, uh, come with this understanding of like a new me in 2023, something people often say. And we were trying to move people away from that with our first sermon of the new year, because what we wanted to talk about, we wanted to talk about same me. And so we were trying to get people to understand not to assume that they have to automatically become a new person in order for them to be blessed of God, especially if they have been putting in the work. And so we talked about that last week and that led us to this, uh, saying, which was same God, same me. And so, and we put the same God first and we did that. So to know, to show that it trumps that same God is over same me. So as long as we're dealing with the same God, then God can bless the same me, especially if we have been doing what we know to do. Uh, We're not talking about people who are uh, operating in wickedness and uh, laziness and unrighteousness, but people who have actually been trying to do what they know to do and have been connected with their creator continually, then God can take the same me or the same you and he can do something with it because he's the same God. He changes not He's a God who is committed to us. He's constant and committed to us. He's faithful to us. And so that brought us encouragement that God can uh, touch us where we work. But having said that, we brought up the idea that that doesn't mean that we don't need to be better or uh, just because he's blessing the same me doesn't mean I don't need to have betterment in any area er- of my life. doesn't mean I don't need to strive to being better. And so, The idea of a better me in 2023 is where we started to take the foundation for this lesson, the lesson of better, is what about if I am the same me, but there is a level of betterment that I need to get to. I need to reach for better. I need to strive for better. And in that sense, we all can do better. We all have areas where we can grow So what about the idea of a better me in 2023? So let's define the word better. Of a more excellent or effective type or quality. Uh, Quite simple, but let's put it in acronym form. Or not acronym, but in synonym form. So let's read these. Superior, finer of higher quality, greater, more suitable, more desirable, more acceptable, a cut above in a different class. So is there areas in my life that can be more superior than they are now, or finer, more fine-toothed, more honed, or of a higher quality, greater, uh, some, some areas in my life that are more suitable? What about there's some things that are more desirable or more acceptable? Can I be a cut above from where I was in 2020, 2021, 2022? Can I be a cut above in 2023? Can I be in a different class? And the answer to that is yes. And the answer is that should always be our goal and our desire to walk toward and work toward a better version of ourselves. And I think that's beautiful. But as I begin to uh, study and think, especially based on what I talked about last week, one of the things that it kind of was impressed upon me is the idea that whenever we talk about better, we usually are talking about betterment from our energy. The idea that, okay, I need to do better. In other words, I need to do the things that I need to do to get better. God has done his part. I need to do my part. And I think that's that's wonderful thinking, but it can put us in a pigeonhole of thinking that everything that comes to us is better has to result from our energy, our work. So if I don't meet the grade, so to speak, if I fall short, if I allow my temper to get the best of me, if I allow my lust to rear its ugly head. If I get trapped in a cycle of gossip, that that blows my chance of ever receiving the better. Because many times when we look at better, we only look at it from the standpoint of us reaching better. We very rarely look at it from the standpoint of better reaching us. And so that was the premise of today's lesson that we're going to dig further into. What if the same God that is so consistent and faithful to us, what if he has a plan to invade us with better? Not just us getting to better, but him actually lifting us up to the place we need to be. Now, once again, we're not talking about the idea of us not trying to do the work, not trying to walk according to the paths of God. But what if we're doing what we know to do? And even with doing what we know to do, we still fall short of some of the areas of better. Is God good enough to lift us to that place where we need to be? You take a person who is trying to learn how to swim and they're working with an instructor and they're treading water. They're doing good. But then they get to a place that's a little too deep for them and they're going down. Do you think that the instructor is only going to wait for them to swim to the place where they can get to the instructor or where the instructor, is he prone to jump in or is she prone to jump in and save and pull that person up and then tell them, hey, this is what you did wrong. This is why you couldn't handle that type of water, but we're going to try again. So we need to understand that sometimes better comes not from us getting to it, but from God jumping in and bringing it to us. And so in order to talk about that, we went on to a story of David. That is a familiar story, but we went to an unfamiliar part of the story to bring this lesson home. So I want to look at that. We're going to look at first Samuel 30 and one, and we're going to read all of this from the new living translation. We won't be changing translations. So it says three days later, when David and his men arrived home, At their town of Ziklag, they found that the Amalekites had made a raid into the Negev and Ziklag, and they had crushed Ziklag and burned it to the ground. So to uh, give us context, we want to look at where it says uh, three days later. That's the focus that I want to look at. So when when it says three days later, we have to understand that three days prior, Something had happened. And so you would have to look at 1 Samuel 29 to catch that. And I'll just try to go ahead and catch us all up. And going all the way back to the idea when David became anointed king, anointed, he was still a shepherd boy working with his father, working, tending sheep. He was anointed and it was showed what he would be. He was advanced into the court of the King Saul, where he was playing for Saul with his musical uh, talents when Saul was uh, grievously vexed with a devil. We also see that David rose to where he killed Goliath, and then David's name began to rise through the ranks. Uh, he was in the court with uh, Saul. He had married Saul's daughter because Saul's daughter was deprived for uh, defeating Goliath so there was some connection he was not yet the king but the anointing that he had had got him a lot closer and then things take a turn that you don't expect or anticipate it doesn't take the happy storybook ending because he's right there next to the king and he's friends with a uh, The king's son, Jonathan, best friends, he's married to the king's daughter. Everything seems like he should be next in line. Things were going to move in that direction. Even Jonathan, who would have been the the heir, didn't mind uh, what was happening in David, how he was rising. But Saul turned on him and turned on him very harshly, very quickly. And he tried to kill him a couple times while he was there within the, the house throwing spears at him. David escaped. And finally, David realized he needed to run for his life. And so he does that. And he's spending time in caves and, and different places, running from Saul and getting close to Saul, proving to Saul, hey, I'm not trying to harm you. I'm, I'm doing nothing to you. And Saul saying, hey, I'm sorry, I will never do this to you again. And then he chases him some more. So it gets so bad that David actually flees from Israel, Judah, and he runs to where the Philistines were, but because he has this representation of killing the Philistines, he had to pretend like he was crazy. He gets to this uh, particular place where he has to pretend like he's crazy. And then that particular Philistine King was like, this guy's no use, use to me. He's not going to bother me. He's crazy. He's not the David warrior. I don't know what happened to him. He's lost his mind. David was doing that just to preserve life. So anyway, it comes to a time where he finds some land and he was with a king that trusted him and he would win battles and do things in that land to where he was trusted. And finally he was able to get a place called Ziklag and he was building up his uh, his men, his wives, his men's wives and they actually had a place of their own. And they were they had, you know, camp there. Well, it comes a time where the particular Philistines were deciding they were going to go and they were going to attack some places. And Judah, Israel was one of the places that they were going to attack. Uh, His king invited David. Hey, let's go. And you would be the best person to go with us. You know, that land you came from them. They kicked you out. You know it very well. How about you come along with us and. You will be able to help us get victory over Israel. And so David and his men go. But when that king meets up with other Philistine kings, they were like, isn't this the same David that killed our Goliath? The same David that has beat some of our warriors. And his king was like, no, he's a changed man. Totally different. They kicked him out and he went mad. He went crazy. We were good to him. So now he's on our side. And the people were like, yeah, I don't believe that David can't go with us. And David's men can't go with us. And David's king was like, I'm sorry to tell you, you can't go with us. He's like, what have I ever done wrong to you? I've, all, I've been there. I've done everything you wanted me to do. He said, yeah, I know. But the other kings, they want to go to war, but they don't want you on their side. They believe once you get over there and you see Israel, you're going to change and you're going to fight us. Listen, I'm sorry to tell you this, but you got to go. You can't go with us. So David was dealing with all of that happening in his life, basically not wanted by anybody, extremely rejected. And where he was when he got rejected was a 3 days journey from his home, Ziklag. And so when he gets back after being rejected and dejected, by the people he's with now, already rejected by his hometown. When he gets back, he finds out that some other people, not the Israelites, not the Philistines, but a whole other group of people has raided the place where he lives, taken everything, burned it to the ground. So this is where we're picking it up, where David is just, his life is in total disarray, and he's yet anointed. He's yet promised the kingdom, but that seems so far from where he currently is. All right, we're going to pick it back up here. in Verse two, they had carried off the women and children and everyone else, but without killing anyone. Now the scripture tells us that, but David and his men, they don't know that no one's killed. All they know is everything is gone. Now uh, they don't see any bodies uh, left, but they just know everything's gone. So they don't know anything. And, they, they're coming through this whole emotional turmoil that they've, they've gone through, rejected. They come home to least at least we can go home and there is no home to go to Burned to the ground. And then there's no family, anything uh, left. So let's look at verse uh, three and four. When David and his men saw the ruins and realized what had happened to their families, they wept until they could weep no more. They wept until they could weep no more. So they were at their maximum level of rejection, dejection, depression, anxiety, hurt, anger, grief. All of these emotions are hitting them all at one time. It would be one thing for them to go somewhere, come back, and their families are gone, that would be hard. But to go somewhere, come back, and everything's burned to the ground, and family's gone, that's one thing. But to have been rejected from their hometown, have to assimilate to a new group of people, finally get some traction with a new group of people, and then that group of people reject them too, and it's like, nah, we, we don't trust you, go on back home, And then there's no home to go to. It's burned down. No family. This is where they are. And they all they had left was their weeping. And we're dealing with warrior men. These are not punks. These are not people that cry at the drop of a hat. These are fighters. These are warriors. These are protectors and providers. And the fact that they wept until there was nothing left in them means that their life was on the bottom of the barrel and they didn't have any uh, hope at that time. They were dejected. They were broken. They were crushed. They were in a very, very bad way. All right, let's look at verse five. David's two wives, Ahinoam from Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal from Carmel, were among those captured. Verse six, David was now in great danger because all his men were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters, and they had begun to talk of stoning him. Then it adds this. But David found strength in the Lord, his God. So. On top of all of this that's happened, everybody's in a a great stress and strain. But on top of all that, David, the leader, the people thought thought of the men thought of, hey, let's stone David. Listen, there's we don't have anybody to blame. You're the leader. You got us here. Hey, you got to take the blame for this. So we're going to we're going to kill you because, hey, what use are you? Why why do we need you leading us? If there's nothing for us to conquer, there's no family, there's no possessions. So we need revenge, but there's nothing to fight. You're the only person to fight. And they talk about stoning him and killing him. And so on top of everything David is dealing with, now it's a possible revolt in the ranks of his own people. And, you know, if David would have just said, forget it, I kill myself, it's over you would understand why he got to that. But the scripture makes a very, very pointed point. It says that, and I'll put it up side by side. It says, but David found strength in the Lord his God. King James says, David encouraged himself in the Lord. So instead of frizzling out, frazzing out and going nuts, which he had a right to do because everything was going wrong. Not one thing was happening right in his life. But he yet he yet chose to encourage himself in the Lord. So the question is, why did he make this choice and his men made a different choice? Well, there was a a word in there that uh, I want to go back to side by side. It says David was now in great danger because all his men were very bitter. That's the word I want to pick up. David chose encouragement. They had lean toward bitterness. And so here's the first point that we wanted to make that we made Sunday. When trying to get to better, the temptation to settle for bitter is always present. That's what we have to understand. I, I like to call it the exit. When you're going down the road, heading toward better, one of the first exits you're tempted to take is the exit called bitter. Because many times what's driving you to want better is you dealing with a whole bunch of junk. You're dealing with a whole bunch of mess. You got a whole bunch of issues you're dealing with that you're faced with. And it's it's one thing to deal with one thing. But when you're dealing with thing on top of thing on top of thing, when you're dealing it from one front, every angle, when you're hit with so many sides, then bitterness really is easy to go to it's something that it's easy to set up in your life it's an easy stop but it will prevent you from getting to better so the longer you stay in better the farther better will get away from you David understood that and so he understood that the only thing I have the only choice I have that's worth anything is choosing to encourage myself in the Lord because if I don't do that the bitterness is going to set up in my life. And I I got people talking about killing me, stoning me. I could be bitter with them. They're getting bitter with me, but he refused to do that. And then that uh, led us to this next point. In order to get to better, you have to know how to encourage yourself by yourself. It's great and it's good to have help. But when help is not helpful, you got to know how to go it alone. And when we say go it alone, we're not talking about being by yourself, even though we're saying be do it by yourself. That's not what we're talking about. Totally. We're talking about you and God. So you're never by yourself because you are with God. But what we're saying when we're say alone, we're saying that you may not be able to trust any human. There may not be a human who can bring to you what you need in that time. And so you have to pull yourself together and tap into the Lord and grab strip from what you know from the Lord and choose that and use that to encourage yourself. Can't turn to my family right now. Can't turn to this person right now. Can't look to my my job. Can't look to the government. Can't look to my relationships. God, it's got to be me and you. And when God is all you got, you'll find out God is all you need because you're able to grab strength because the strength lies in God or in the Lord. And you're able to encourage yourself because if anybody can do it, God can do it. If anybody can bring you out of this, God can bring you out of this. If anybody can make heads out of these tails, God can do it. If anybody can turn these tails into heads, God can do it. If anybody can take the situation and flip it right side up because it's upside down, God can do it. And so these challenges, they drive us. And what they do, they put us in a corner where we're backed up against a wall. But if you have really put your hope, your faith and your trust in the Lord, you oftentimes come out swinging even better Because you realize I've got nothing to lose. All my chips are down, so I might as well take what I got, put all my chips. I'm all in on trusting the Lord. Either I'm going to fail or I'm going to succeed. Failure is all around me. If I fail and it's over for me, at least I went out trying. But if I succeed, maybe I'll see a turnaround. That was David's mindset, which showed You why he was a leader. And the scripture never talks anymore about them wanting to stone him. So he must have convinced them with his courage that he had encouraged himself in the Lord and strengthened himself in the Lord. He must have convinced them to buy into him and say, hey, just give me another chance. Give me a chance to make this right. I know your 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 wives are gone. Your children are gone. Your sons and daughters are gone. We're looking at ashes. We don't have anything. But don't turn on me now. Give me another chance to make this right. I believe I can do. it. I don't know what his speech was to them, but we don't hear anything more about them wanting to stone him. So he switched them from being bitter to pursuing better. And he did that because he encouraged himself in the Lord. And so the idea is no matter what we've been through up until this point, up until 2023 hits, When we know how to tap into the right sources and we know how to go where the power is, we can flip a switch and turn things on. It reminds me of um, many sporting events where people have been losing first quarter, second quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter, even half of the fourth quarter. And something clicks. You don't know what happens on the sidelines. You don't know what the coach said. You don't know what the star player said. But it's like a total different team and everything starts clicking and the momentum totally shifts. And the next thing you know, they stand at the end of the game as the victor when it looked like everyone said they were going to lose. They were uh, down by so much. And so when things click like that, getting to better is a real, real option in your life because it takes what? What has happened previous to you can change like that can change with the snap of a hand. It can change with one word from God. It can turn in a moment. It can shift. And it's things like that that make for some great grand testimonies. Actually, we're reading one right now, but it's things like that 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 makes things shift, knowing that better is available. But you just can't fold when you're in the muck and the mire of life. All right. So. We're going to move on to verse eight. Then David asked the Lord, should I chase after this band of raiders? Will I catch them? He wasn't even for sure, but he went to the Lord and the Lord and the Lord told him, yes, go after them. You will surely recover everything that was taken from you. So God gave him a guarantee. You're going to recover everything up until this point. They don't know if their women and children are alive. All they know, they are gone. But God says, you're going to recover everything. So so he goes from not knowing what's going to happen to choosing to trust the Lord. And then he talks to the Lord, and God gives him a sure word, a guarantee, go after them. Now, David is a fighter by nature. So uh, it seems like asking the question, should I go after them, is was a dumb question. But it wasn't a dumb question because he don't know if he's going to win or lose. He's had so many losses that he really has to ask, is it even worth going after it? Because if if I'm going to lead my men into another failure, listen, we might as well do something different. So he asked the Lord. So in his asking, he was not sure he was really asking, is it even worth it? And God was like, I know what you've been through, but I promise you it's worth it. Go after him because you're going to get everything back. That probably really stirred and stoked his faith up, and it really start, stirred up the fiery embers of his warrior being. It probably put David on the path of like, okay, I'm about it, about it. Let's do this thing. All right, so let's look at verse 9. So David and his 600 men set out, and they came to the brook Besor. So they immediately went out. He he rallied the troops, and they, they went forward. So let's look at uh, this verse here. Verse 10, but this is key because this is what I wanted to really hone in on. But 200 of the men were too exhausted to cross the brook. So David continued the pursuit with 400 men. The 600 men, they all leave out, but 200 men are actually worn out, worn down. uh, The New Living Translation uses the phrase exhausted. Exhausted. Let's, let's define exhausted so we, we know exactly what we're talking about. Drained of one's physical, emotional, or mental resources, very tired. Now, yes, they need to get to better because where they're at is horrible. But there's 200 men up, 200 that are just exhausted. Sometimes we forget when we're trying to pursue things, sometimes we forget the humanality and the human fact that factors in. Yes, we believe in the divine, but at the end of the day, we're human. And sometimes what we've been through has taken such a toll that even though we want to move forward, we want to go in faith, the truth of the matter is we're exhausted. And what I love is the honesty of those men to say, I can't go any further. I want to. I wish I could. I know my women and children are over there too, but I'm spent. I'm broken. This, this is all I have. I am drained physically, emotionally, and mentally. And the point and the purpose of this sermon was to share That is okay. It's okay to be not okay. And just because we're saved and we're Christians and we know we got to get to better, it's okay to be honest. I can't do it. I can't do it right now. I'm broke I'm broken right now. Yeah, yeah, I'm a saved and I'm a Christian and I shouldn't cuss. the person out on my job, but I did it. I don't think it's right, but I was at my breaking point. I lost it. I'm sorry. This is just where I am. And I don't want people who are part of Deliverance Temple who have come to the place of exhaustion to feel like you gotta throw in the towel. I want you to know that God is saying it's okay. And here's the reason why, and then we made this point. Point number three, sometimes I don't have the energy to get to better, so better has to get to me. And then we made this declaration. Better is coming to me in 2023. Better is coming to me in 2023. So the point that I was trying to make and really believe that God was sharing with me is that better is coming to you this year. Whether you have the strength to go to better and get it or whether you're broken and better has to come to you, you are in a win-win situation because better is going to find you one way or another. So I don't want you to let the devil to trick you and make you think like, I can't, I don't have the faith Andre has. So I'm just gonna stop coming to church. I'm gonna stop tuning in on live. I made too many mistakes. I'm just, you know, I still love the Lord, but I can't go where he's talking about going. I don't want you to give up. I want you to understand that there are certain moments in people's life where they just can't. But God is so faithful. That's why we talked about last week, same God, same me. What if I can't get to a better me? What if it's the same me? The same God is so faithful and so consistent. He reaches you when you can't reach him. So so I want your hope to come up. Because God is so good, he'll he'll find a way to get better to you because, number one, he's a father. And what fathers do, fathers. Go out of their way to make sure better find those that they are providing for. And so if you can't do it, it's okay. Now, once again, we're not talking about laziness. We're not talking about wickedness or unrighteousness. We're talking about people who are doing the best they know how. And sometimes they still fall short. I want you to have hope because better is still coming to you. Let's continue the story because it's it's a powerful story. So uh, let's move to verse 11. Along the way, they found an Egyptian man in the field and brought him to David. These are the 400 men that kept going. They gave him some bread to eat and water to drink. Verse 13, to whom do you belong and where do you come from? David asked him. So they begin to interrogate him. I am an Egyptian, the slave of an Amalekite, the slave of an Amalekite, he replied. My master abandoned me three days ago because I was sick. So let's paint the story uh, even better. Now re- remember, David and his men were rejected from going with the Philistines, they were already rejected from their hometown, Israel. And they were coming back to where they were staying, a place called Ziklag. But when they get to Ziklag, everything was burned to the ground and uh, things were taken. But the scripture says that it was a band of Amalekites. What had happened is the Amalekites had been going through. They're a whole separate group. They have nothing to do with Israel. They have nothing to do with the Philistines. But they're a whole separate group. And they were on a rampage. They were going through many lands and they were stealing robbing pillaging one of the things they knew is that these other people were in battle so they were occupied with battle so the philistines were occupied fighting the israelites so this is a person time perfect time for the malachites to come in and they were robbing they had stole from uh israel judah negev all the way they they, they, they this is what they were doing this was their business model wait till other people get occupied we sneak in And we take stuff, burn stuff, and we run off. That was their whole thing. So it shows you the type of wicked people they were because they had slaves. They had made people slaves. But one of the slaves had got sick. Shouldn't have been a slave to begin with, but got sick. And they were like, we ain't got time for you. You got sick. And they just left. Like, number one, I, I didn't make myself a slave. You stole me, forced me to be a part of you. And then they got sick, and you leave me and abandon me. Some of our uh, African-American people who uh, came through the transatlantic slave trade, same thing happened to them because slaves were considered property. So if they were broke, if they were sick, ah, we don't need you. And so so th- that was something that happened. This was uh, in the Egyptian, that same thing happened to him. But he was left at the right place at the right time right when David and his men were pursuing. Now, remember, David and his men don't know where they're actually going to find. They're they're just trying to find any lead and they run right into someone who was with the Amalekites. And so let's pick up the story. You know, when when you really read the Bible, sometimes it's better than a movie and something on Netflix, because if you really look at it and study the words and don't just rush through it, some of the stories it lays out are just so beautiful and uh, so well crafted when, when it tells the story. So verse 14, so here's here's the slave telling, he's singing, he's telling everything. We were on our way back from raiding the Carathites in the Negev, the territory of Judah. If you know anything about Judah, that's Israel and the land of Caleb. And we had just burned Ziklag. Oh, you did what? You had just burned Ziklag. So if there was any Question, is this the person that we need to run into? He let them know that the last thing we did was burn a place called Ziklag, which happened to be the place that David and his men had called home, which they had just raided. So that means this freshly happened. So that means that David is close to the people who did this because he has someone who was just with them knows everything. And that person was abandoned by them. So that person actually has an ax to grind. He was made a slave and he was abandoned because he was a sick. So he don't have any love. There's no love lost when it comes to the, to the Malachites with this slave person. So let's look at verse 15. Will you lead me to this band of raiders? David asked, well, shoot, hey, can, can you take me to where they were? The young man replied, if you take an oath in God's name, that you will not kill me or give me back to my master, then I will guide you to them. And this was a side note that I just had to put in there. Just because somebody is a slave or in bondage does not mean they are not smart. This was a smart slave. He understood that this is a band of people who have been done wrong by the Amalekites. And the only thing between the Malachites and them is me. So I got a lot of leverage here. And so he, he's asking me, the leader, David, is asking me, can I take them to the Malachites? I sure can, if. I sure can, but. And one of the things that, that I wanted to bring in as a side note, because this is not about David and his men at all. This is about the slave boys. So I'm taking a rabbit trail. But sometimes when we say better has to come to me, this guy was a slave. And he was sick and he was abandoned. And he runs into somebody that needs him and he needs them. So this was the perfect opportunity for him to negotiate better. And So that led us to this point here. Point number four, sometimes to get to better, you have to no- negotiate it. Sometimes doors open and you just have to negotiate. Well, can you do this? Yes, but for this price. Yes, but I need to raise. Well, can you do this? Yes, but I, I need you to give me a ride. I need you to to, to pay my, my plane ticket. Sometimes when better is coming to you, you can't just take the first thing that comes by. You have to negotiate. You have to be willing to say, when you know better is coming, you take a chance. And sometimes you have to bet on yourself and say, okay, I can do this, but I'm gonna make sure I'm taken care of in the process. In other words, he went from being a slave, sick and abandoned to having a deal with someone to say, hey, hey, don't kill me. Take care of me. Don't send me back to my master. Make sure I'm good. And I love the beauty of that is that he was even in a bad situation. He was able to negotiate better. So better is going to come to a lot of us. But some things will need to be negotiated. Don't take the first thing. Don't uh, don't take the first thing the car salesman tells you. Well, your credit is this, and you can only get this. You can only have that. Uh, Nah, nah. I need you to go back in there and try again. Look, listen. I've already, I'm already on the bottom of the barrel. So, ain't no need in me just jumping at the first thing that come along. I might as well go for the best thing I can get. You know, I, I, I've already, I've already been lonely. I'm already by myself. And so, some man comes by and is like, "I can give you the sun, the moon, and the stars." Some woman comes telling you all the stuff she can do for you. Well, prove it. I ain't just gonna jump right at you, and I'm not so lonely that I gotta jump at the first thing that comes along. Okay? I need you to prove it. Well, I got I got businesses in in Dubai, and I got business. Well, prove it. Show me. Show me the money. It's nothing wrong with you making people who you're dealing with making them. Uh, prove what what it is that, they, that they're promising. You're not that broke. You're not that sick. You're not that in trouble that you got to jump at the first thing. Listen, you're you can you're going to get to better. So take your time and make the right decision. So that's a side note, but I think it's a very powerful side note because it may be important to some people's life. All right, we got to move on. Verse 16. So he led David to them. So evidently, having David made the deal, he led them to them. And they found the Malachites spread out across the fields, eating and drinking and dancing with joy because of the vast amount of plunder they had taken from the Philistines and the land of Judah. One thing uh, else that I, that I wanted to say, once again, remember, uh, the Philistines were fighting Israel, Judah. So the Malachites knew that and figured, hey, while they're occupied with that, We're going to run and we're going to start raiding and taking every everything they they were. uh, That's just who they were. Wicked. But this guy led them right there and they were partying because they had got a a bunch of stuff. They had taken a whole lot of things from a lot of places. They didn't just take uh, David's home. They had been raiding a bunch of places, a bunch of towns. And so they were living high on the hog and partying. And happy because they had a whole bunch of spoil. So the point that I did not make, I didn't make this point on Sunday, and I don't know why I forgot to bring it up, but uh, I I will say it now, is the fact that, of course, they took David's things, his his wives, his children, and his men's things. And the scripture says, God told them, the Lord told them, you're going to recover all. But what, the Lord did not tell them is that there's going to be so much more things there because they have been stealing from a lot of places. So not only were they able to get to a place where they could recover everything they had, they can get a whole bunch of more things. That's not really good grammar, but I like the way that sounds a whole bunch more stuff they were able to get. So sometimes what looks like a loss is actually A setup. And I I preached this several years ago before I was a pastor. God gave me a message. It's not a setback. It's a setup. And it's a setup for a step up. So what they had, and if you know anything about the story, Ziklag was not the greatest place. They had taken the place and it was like leftovers. They made it as great as they could be. But at the end of the day, David really was anointed king. It this does not show what he really could be, but it was what he he could settle for at the time. They made it the best possible. But God was like, I don't want you just settling for this. I'm allowed this to be burned to the ground and I'm going to lead you into a situation where you're going to get everything that was taken. But then that much more. So let's uh, go to verse 17. David and his men rushed in among them and slaughtered them throughout that night. And the entire next day until evening. So more than 24 hours, they were killing. None of the Amalekites escaped except 400 young men who fled on camels. Another point that I didn't bring up Sunday, and and it's because I don't have an answer for it. But since this is our Bible study group and you guys like to study further, this is just something I want to throw out there is I find this very interesting. We start off with six hundred of david 's men, two hundred too exhausted, so only four hundred cross over and they do attacking. But then the scripture says they kill everybody except four hundred, so that means there were well more than four hundred Amalekites, and they slaughtered all of them, but four hundred were able to escape so I wonder what is. The significance of the 400. Not sure, but I think it, I find it very fascinating that 400 of them went to fight and only 400 of the enemy escaped. But, and like I said, I don't have a full answer for that, but what it brings me to believe and to understand is that God doesn't miss any detail. Everything is down to the detail. So sometimes when it looks like you are losing, like I said, you're being set up for blessing but so set up that it's actually strategic in other words when when the slave uh, boy got sick while the Amalekites were doing the raiding that was an accident when they got fed up with him because of his sickness and abandoned him exactly in the right path where David was going to come through that was not a coincidence in other words it looks like what was going on in David's life was full of attack from the enemy. But when you see it as it plays out, it looks like God was playing chess and setting everything up and actually putting him right into a blessing. If you know about David's later life, you understand that he ends up getting back to Israel and becoming the king. So the the fact that the Philistines rejected him and said, you can't go with us. That was not rejection. That was God's direction. God didn't want him fighting with the Philistines. So as we look at it now, everything was being set up. So when we say that we need better and we need to get to better and we need better to get to us, what we're also saying is we're trusting the process. We're trusting that God has really orchestrated things and ordered our steps, and we're actually going to run into stuff that God set up a long time ago. So that whole 400 men who escaped and 400 that were fighting, to me, is just so perfect that it cannot have been by accident. But it also shows us the grace of God because These were Amalekites who were wicked, but God even spared 400 of them. He didn't allow all of them to die. So it shows us his grace and his mercy. I think there's a whole lot in there that you can probably study out on your own, but it's just a quite interesting fact I want to throw out. All right, let's go to verse 19. Nothing was missing, small or great, son or daughter, nor anything else that had been taken. David brought everything back. Nothing was missing. He recovered all like the scripture said uh, he would. But what we do know is that there was more there. So they probably carried back everything that they could take with them. They got all their stuff back, but then they got more stuff. They got everything that they could probably physically carry. They probably couldn't carry everything. They grabbed everything they could. All right, let's look at uh, the next verse. We're going to look at uh, verse twenty. Uh, one. Then David returned to the brook Besor and met up with the 200 men who had been left behind because they were too exhausted to go with them. They went out to meet David and his men, and David greeted them joyfully. David was happy. David realized, man, God has blessed us. Uh, we, we've got the better. Uh, we got everything that we lost, and then some, and we got extra on top of that, so David was joyful. You have to understand David was a praiser and a worshiper, so David was in full praise and worship. He was excited and happy because God had really come through with him at one of his worst moments. God came through and came through with a bang, but let's look at human nature. Let's look at verse 22, but some evil troublemakers among David's men, so among the 400 there were some who were tending toward evil they didn't go with us so they can't have any of the plunder we recovered give them their wives and children and tell them to be gone so they were like okay yeah we recovered all and they can have their wives and children but they ain't get none, none of the extra stuff we got because they didn't go with us they were too exhausted They were too tired, so forget them. They didn't fight with us. But they had won a victory, though. It's true. I mean, it's not like they were lying. They were telling the truth. They were too exhausted to go, and they didn't fight. But the truth of the matter is they weren't needed to fight. Y'all won. Y'all conquered. Y'all got everything back and then some. So... Why are you taking a joyful moment and turning it into something negative? Now, here's the point that I felt like it was necessary to make. Here's point number five. Evil people don't understand human limitations. It's evil to make me suffer for being human. The scripture says they were too exhausted. And we explained to you what exhausted means. They were mentally, emotionally, and physically drained. They didn't have anything to offer. And so you cannot make people suffer because they're human. Well, shoot, you didn't have the faith that I have, so no, uh-uh. No, you, you, you can't celebrate with me, but they're human. Do you understand that they were broken too? Yes, we, all of y'all were broken. All of y'all were in a horrible state, but you don't know what's going through a person's mind. You don't know. It. Every Everybody handles things different. And everybody's breaking point is different. And it's things that hit you some a certain way may hit another person a different way. Because we don't understand internal things. You don't understand what brought me to the place that I'm in. And so the fact that they were too exhausted to go and fight. Now, now remember, they went out with them. They went to pursue. But once they got to the place where they had to cross the brook, they, they didn't have anything left. And it's okay to have people in your life that they've done everything they can do and you have to sometimes carry them. You don't want to carry everybody, but some people, you love them enough to say, I understand you need to be carried in this moment because I understand you're human. I am not so sadiddy and prideful and caught up in my victory that I can't see when somebody is broken. And that's the problem with a lot of church people. They achieve levels of success and they forget about people who are too exhausted. The point is, when you're blessed, you should bless others. But David's mindset was totally different. That's what made him a leader. And the Bible says he was a man after God's own heart. Look at how David responds to this. But David said, no, my brothers, don't be selfish with with what the Lord has given us. I like how David says, this. he didn't say, don't be selfish with our victory. He said, with the Lord has given us. Now, remember, some of these same men wanted to stone David. And David didn't, he didn't do nothing to him. He didn't kick none of them out. He didn't kill none of them. He allowed them to go with him. And they didn't forgot about that. And David was like, no, no, this, this, this is God's doing. And we're not going to be selfish with what God is doing. Then he says this. He has kept us safe and helped us defeat the band of raiders that attacked us. He said nothing about their their warrior ability, nothing about their military strategy. He's like, this is God. And and the reason why he says that, remember, David encouraged himself in the Lord. So David knew the strength that I'm leading these men on and the strength these men are fighting in. It is the Lord's strength. So uh-uh. we are not we're not about to get the big head now because it is God that kept us safe. It is God that brought us to this victory. It is God that made a difference. Look, we cried till we couldn't cry no more. We had no more tears in us. We really didn't have the energy to fight, but God did it. So we're not going to have the wrong mindset now. Verse 24. Who will listen when you talk like this? We share and share alike. Those who go to battle and those who guard the equipment and the point that they was making. It's not like they didn't do anything. There was some stuff we couldn't take across the brook with us. It would have weighed us down. It would have wore us out. We wouldn't have been as agile as we needed to be. So we left that back with them. And obviously it's still here now that we're back. So they stayed and they protected anything. And if anything would have run up on them, they would have had to fight to protect it. So it's not like they weren't doing anything. They were just too exhausted to go as far as we went. But they did what they could do. So we're not going to hold that against them. And as your leader and as your pastor, what I understand is some of y'all, you've done as much as you can do. And I'm telling you, I am not asking you in 2023 to be better and get better. I'm telling you that God is so good, he's going to bring better to you. And if I go across the brook and I win a victory, all y'all get blessed because y'all are part. But if I'm too exhausted and I can't make it and you go across, don't forget your pastor. No, we, we need to be in this together. And that's the beauty of this uh, powerful lesson, this powerful story. And what's awesome is when people normally teach this, they don't talk about the 200 exhausted men. They usually leave that out or, or rush past it. But it's very important. Because we all are human and we all have limitations. But here's something that I like to say. You never allow your limitations to limit God, though. All right. So let's look at verse 25. From then on, David made this decree and regulation for Israel, and it still followed today. From then on, listen, you're not going to be heart, uh, hurt or left out when you're too exhausted. Now, if you're lazy, we don't need you. But if you do everything you know to do and you just, you just don't have the energy or the strength, it's okay. That's why you're part of us. We'll build you up. We'll fight for you. We'll fight with you. We'll fight for you. And you'll fight with us and you'll fight for us if if need be. So that that, uh, brought us to our very last uh, point, point six. You may not have had the energy to fight, but you still get your share of the victory because better is coming. So I really feel like better is scheduled to hit us, to come our way. I believe that we've done what we can do, whether we're too exhausted or whether we go and fight, however it happens, better is coming to us. And we just have to trust the process, believe God, and uh, stay in this thing because God is going to do it for us. All right, let's bow our heads and let's pray. Dear, gracious Heavenly Father, God, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. We honor you. Yes, we can do better. We need to do better. But some of us, we've done all we know to do. We've had so much loss, so much pain that we don't even know how to get to better. But you're letting us know that you'll bring better to us and that you've scheduled it all. You've orchestrated it all. And we are on the right path to see doors open and things happen in our lives. And for that, we thank you. And for that, we praise you. And we love you. And we honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to say God bless you. Have a great week. Better truly is coming to you. Do better where you can do better, but receive better when you need to receive better. May God bless you all.